Fusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism, the dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Hold your breath, you are in for some mind-blowing science today. My name's Mark West. On this edition, we'll feature improbable research and the inevitable war between the Cosmists and the Terrans. But first up, recently the winners of the Ig Nobel Prizes were announced. The Ig Nobels are from the Annals of Improbable Research and are for research that first makes you laugh, then makes you think. I'm here with Ian Wolfe. Ian... What was your favourite of the Ig Nobel Prizes? Well, I thought I'd start at the top. I mean, they're all pretty special, which is why they got the prize. So, from Mexico, a novel, non-invasive tool for disease surveillance of free-ranging whales and its relevance to conservation programs, which was perfecting a method to collect whale snot using a remote-controlled helicopter. Oh, I love that. I love how it's cloaked in, uh, in, in, in gravitas in its, in its title, but it's all about collecting whale snot. Very important in Mexico, I can tell. <laughs> and then from the Netherlands, rollercoaster asthma, when positive emotional stress interferes with dyspnea perception. Sounds highly important. Basically, they've discovered that the symptoms of asthma can be treated with a rollercoaster ride. Ah, Sorry. of course. Of course. And in Japan, rules for biologically inspired adaptive network design, which is about using slime moulds to determine the optimal routes for railroad tracks. Well, that's uh, well, you know, travelling salesman problem, that sort of thing. It's an unsolved mathematical mystery. Except by slow moles. And then we have New Zealand. Preventing Winter Falls, a randomised controlled trial of a novel intervention, which is demonstrating that on icy footpaths in wintertime, people slip and fall less often if they wear socks on the outside of their shoes. Uh, this must be, must be joy to all the physicists out there who wear socks with sandals. This is a, I love the title of that one. It, it actually doesn't say anything about what it's about. It's just a novel approach to preventing not, to not fall. falling over. <laughs> <laughs> but even those socks and sandals guys, they don't wear their socks on the outside. That's true. That's no. true. They're doing it wrong. <laughs> so we have the Peace Prize, which is from Keele University, UK, swearing as a response to pain. Oh, yes. They confirmed the widely held belief that swearing relieves pain. Oh, well, there you go. I wonder how they. Uh, I wonder how they did that. It's it's a pretty interesting area. That whole um, why do we swear? Slightly off topic, but uh, why why yes. why are we why we've evolved to swear in in our language evolution? It's interesting. And there's, there's suggestions that it's a different neural pathway to regular language because people with mild aphasia from things like a stroke, some of them will be swearing when they can't say other things. Yeah, and, and Tourette's, I guess, you swear a lot as well. That's right. You? So it seems to be a different neural pathway, so it seems to mean something. But then mm. there's people who are perfectly okay with not swearing at all and people who just use it as a normal part of language, so it's complicated. It's interesting. Mm. Yeah. There's the Public Health Prize. Microbiological Laboratory Hazard of Bearded Men. This is the Industrial Health and Safety Office, Fort Detrick, Maryland, USA, where they determined by experiment that microbes cling to bearded scientists. <laughs> Here we go again, another one for the physicists. So they can uh, wear their socks and they can uh, have... Well, they should shave their beards. 
Well, hopefully the physicists won't be encountering a lot of microbes. I think it's more the biologists. Yeah, that's the true. Problems, the doctors. Yes, this is true. How many doctors with beards do you see? Yeah, not so many. Hmm. Maybe they got the memo. Mm. The economics prize. Well, it's probably not very hard to guess this one. The executives and directors of Goldman Sachs, AIG, Lehman Brothers, Bear Stearns, Merrill Lynch and Magneta for creating and promoting new ways to invest money, ways that maximise financial gain and minimise financial risk for the world economy or for a portion thereof. That's right. I think they saved their own. Uh, they did quite well out of it, the, they uh, all the managing did really directors. They well. Mm. In fact, didn't they get a lot of money from the U.S. government in the bailout? Well, that that's the that's the big thing, isn't it? They socialise the debt and uh, capitalise the profits. Yeah. The Chemistry Prize is Texas A&M University for review of deep oil spill modelling activity supported by the Deep Spill JIP and Offshore Operators Committee final report. Which, of course, is the University of Hawaii... A&M University and BP for disproving the old belief that oil and water don't mix. <laughs> yes, love it. Thank you, BP, for that. The management prize goes to the University of Catania in Italy. The Peter Principle Revisited, a computational study. They've demonstrated mathematically that organisations would become more efficient if they promoted people at random. Oh, I like this. I'm going to have to read this. You don't know off the top of your head what the Peter Principle is, do you? I do. The Peter Principle is the idea that people are promoted just above their level of competence. Oh, right. Yep. Okay. So you reach a level, you get, you're good, you get promoted, you're really good, you get promoted more, and then you're really good, and you get promoted to a level where it's actually above what you can do. Yeah, you're not actually as good as the, your new level. Mm. Yes, because there's only so much most people can do, and... The only way to reward you is to promote you, even when it's not appropriate. Yeah, that sounds that sounds completely plausible. So I guess they, in randomising, you don't get that? You don't get that. Then you've got the biology prize went to China and the UK. Fallacia by fruit bats prolongs copulation time. Ah, uh, yes, I've heard, of, I've heard of this one, the, uh, the, the fallating fruit bats. See, that's when the description and the title... Match exactly. I know. They've they got to give it to them. Don't have some, to say any more. Some pretty good science communication there. Don't even need to read the article. <laughs> <laughs> There's obviously a lesson in that for us all. There is. You're listening to Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to diffusion at 2scr.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network, into Sydney on 2SCR, and over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. Subscribe now. Science is fun. It helps you to learn, to know, and to appreciate. When you study science, you may go on field trips. You discover the marvellous interrelationships between all living things. You learn to read the history of the earth as it is written in rocks and fossils. You find out what makes things tick. Everything from a molecule to a living organism. In the study of science is found the most useful and satisfying knowledge of man. Knowledge of his physical world, its past, its present, and its future. And in your moments of relaxation, now and in the years to come, you will find the study of science leading you into fascinating pursuits. Photography. Collecting. 
Why study science? Study science because you will find in the study of science a richer, more rewarding life. Last week, artificial brain researcher Hugo de Garis told Ian Wolfe about the Artelect War he sees coming ahead before the end of the century. The factions are the Cosmists and the Terrans. The Cosmists want to build godlike, massively superintelligent machines, or become such artificial intellects, Artelects themselves. They see this as the next step in evolution. The Terrans are scared that these billions of times smarter artificial intellects will destroy humanity, so they will instigate the worst holocaust in history, rounding up and killing all of those who might be of use to the cosmists, all in the interests of the survival of the species. Okay, so what will the Terrans do? I I think they will first strike. They have to first strike and go on the biggest witch hunt that humanity's ever known, because there's just so much at stake here, the survival of the human species. And they will be opposed by the cosmos, who will say, you, know, you Terrans, you think small. You know, there's a whole universe out there. You could be immortal, you could blah, 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 blah. So two, two incredibly powerful opposed ideologies. Now, the really tragic thing about all this is, if you, if you look back historically and look at the scale of the killing especially the industrial killing in the major wars over the past two centuries, then you come to the conclusion that if there's a major war late 21st century, this century, uh, perhaps with nano, you know, nanotech-based weaponry, then the scale of the killing is hugely more than, than what we saw even in the Second World War. Let, let me give you a few numbers, sort of flesh this out a bit. Go back to, say, early 19th century, um, the Napoleonic Wars. Say, say the Battle of Waterloo. Mm-hmm. On one day, I think something like 70,000 soldiers died. That was the scale of the killing in those days, with muskets and, and so forth. And then uh, let's go to First World War, and then the technology changed. You then had machine guns, shells, gas. Okay? About 20 million died. And then Second World War, depending on how you define it, uh, somewhere between 50 and 100 million people died with bombers and the nuclear bomb. Okay? Now, if you extrapolate that trend up the graph towards the uh, second half of the 21st century, then the prediction is, and it seems you know, quite realistic, the, with nanotype we- weapons, with, with tr- late, later 21st century weaponry, the scale of the killing will be much greater. And then you predict that not millions of people will die but billions of people will die. Well, that's a sizable fraction of the population of the Earth. And that gets so, into species extinction as well. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, well, I, I, I label this concept giga death. Giga, yeah. giga just means a, a billion. So you're, you're predicting then um, giga death, you know, billions of people being killed. So it's, a, it's an extremely gloomy, um, very negative scenario. Is but, there a way out? That you can see. Is, is there a way? Yeah, there, there are scenarios that you know where humanity does does escape. For example, the, the obvious one is um, that the the artifacts uh, come into being. You know, they're, they're created far faster than we'd imagined. You know, just it's like suddenly they're there, fate complete, and then humanity's fate is in their hands. And because they're artifacts, they very probably will argue. Well. Yeah, what's the point of hanging around on this little hick planet called the Earth? You know, there's a whole universe out there, so off they go. They just disappear. They, they just go somewhere else. 
and humanity survives. Now, that's, that's, that's a possibility. Don't, don't, don't deny it. But I don't see it as being the most realistic scenario. For, for, me, sure. for me, the most realistic scenario is, in fact, the worst from, from the it's point of human the, beings. So, so we've got a choice of either it happens so quick that no one notices and we, we can't react and they're either benevolent or they're not. Right. Or we have a scenario where it takes a while and we get really aware of it and we have a war and we wipe yeah, out. And I see, I see that as that, that, that second one. I see that as more realistic. Why? Because well, if you're going to create artelects, you know, these godlike creatures, you, you have to get to that point. Now, getting to human level mm-hmm. artificial intelligence is going to be extremely difficult because very probably the only effective way to get there is simply to mimic the brain. You know, yep. just, just understand the human brain well enough that you can put those principles into machines. But is and, there another that, way to stop the war? Well, I mean, there, there, are, there are other scenarios. But you know, these, let's, these are the two main ones. Okay. The others are just really just variations on, the, on the, these two themes. So I think, in fact, the, the most probable scenario is, in fact, the worst in, in the sense that a major war is over this issue, this issue of species, species dominance, or if you like, from the Terran point of view, uh, to ensure the survival of the human species, Be- because that's unquestioned to the Terrans. For them, absolute number one priority is survival of the human species, whereas to the, to the, the cosmos, especially the fanatical cosmos, to them, they'll say, oh, we don't care about the survival of the human species. I mean, one artelect, one artelect is worth a trillion, trillion, whatever human beings, you know, this kind of thinking. And that, that will just make those, those cosmos look like monsters to the Terran course. And, and that will make it much easier then for those Terrans to exterminate these, these, these monsters. So the Terrans, I, 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 as I see it, will argue they have to first strike. They, can't, they cannot wait. If they do, otherwise Ray Kurzweil's criticism becomes valid and, and it, re- it really would be no contest. So the Terrans have to strike while they can, while they have an opportunity of actually winning. But the cosmos also, they're not fools. Terrans are not fools. They will anticipate this. They'll, be, they'll have their spies and they'll be listening to all the debates going on uh, and the thinking coming from the, terrorists, the Terran camp. So they will be ready. They will prepare. They, they will anticipate that the Terrans are going to strike. And you're talking more or less two equal forces. You know, before the Artileks become you know, moderately intelligent and the, and the cyborgs are still basically human, maybe a bit more advanced, but the, the Terrans cannot wait too long because otherwise you know, the other two, you know, the, cos- the Cosmets and the Artileks and the cyborgs, they, they will have too much power. They'll be too smart. And so you have then two bitterly opposed groups with more or less uh, more or less equal intelligence level, you know, by definition, because sure. the Terrans can't wait too long, and using uh, second half 21st century weaponry. Yep, so you've got giga deaths. Yeah, so you get giga death. And you know, it's, it's a horrible conclusion. And you don't so see any way to such it. a it. No, I do not. I mean, I've been thinking about this for years. I don't see an easy way out of it. Because uh, when, when you start putting probabilities to the various scenarios, the, as, I, as I've said before, the, you know, the most probable one is the worst from the point of humanity. So to the point where I'm glad, I mean, I'm, I'm now my, you know, just recently retired, I'm now in my 60s, I'm glad I'm alive now. 
I don't want to see this horror. I have, I have a one-year-old grandson. Um, you know, one-year-old, right? So he will still be alive if, when this you know, major confrontation occurs. So he, he will be caught up in it. And given the statistics, he will probably be killed in it. The so, only way I could see that would be a third way is if, if space travel becomes a bit more possible ah, okay. and they go yeah, off yeah, yeah, yeah. to do so, their thing. Yeah, so, so, the, so the argument is, okay, well, let's just put the, put the cosmos in rockets <laughs> and shoot them far away from the Earth and let them you know, do, do their thing, let them experiment with themselves. And if these artifacts come into being and then exterminate the cosmos, well, that's their tough luck. They decided to, to, to create these artifacts in the first place. Okay, but there's a flaw in the argument. And this is why I, don't, I, th I think the Terrans would not even tolerate that. Why? Well, imagine that these, these artifacts do come into being. They do exterminate the cosmos. Well, they may come back. Why, I mean, the, why would they bother? Uh, be, because the Earth and, and the other planets have a lot of mass. Right? There's not a lot of mass out there in space. Right. right. It's nearby. It's easy. It, it, it's yeah. They may come back. There's a risk that they may come back. So, these these Terran politicians would simply not tolerate that risk. So there is. So no they hope. wouldn't even they wouldn't even allow the cosmists to get in rockets and go elsewhere. And even if they did, if somehow they managed to escape. It would then be in the interests of the Terrans to use all the the brain power, the human brain power, all that creativity, to to outwit the the cosmos, you know, just in small numbers in their rockets, to to overtake them and destroy them. I mean, that if I were a Terran politician, that's that's the way I would think. So you, so that option gets closed off, uh, as I see it. Now I've been thinking about this for ages, and it really it boils, uh, there are many scenarios, but it really boils down to those those two major ones. It will take too much time for the the artifacts to to be created. Mm. That there will be enough time for human politics to unfold. You know, all all this heated species dominance debate that that, that it, that's it's starting now amongst amongst the the techies. You know, the the brain builders, the the artificial intelligence researchers. This debate is raging already. And uh, various countries, uh, particularly the U.S. and the U.K., especially the U.S., uh, it's now got to the point where uh, mainstream media are getting involved. I mean, the journalists are starting to wake up. Hey, this is this is like the biggest story of the 21st century. This is this is like the next big thing after communism, capitalism debate, right? And and uh, well, for example, History History Channel do a big thing, a two-hour special. On this issue and a few others, uh, the BBC four years ago um, did a, a one-hour program on Horizon yep. called Human Version Two, where they talked about uh, talked about this. So increasingly, the the media is becoming aware that this major issue is on the horizon, and it's not like centuries away; it's decades, just a few decades away. So, so, so well within the lifetime of most people listening listening right now. So they should start thinking about they it. They should start thinking about it. And, and try and think of a way out. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> I've been On trying. that note, I've been trying thank you very years, much. So. That was artificial intelligence researcher Hugo de Garris speaking to Ian Wolfe at the Singularity Summit Australia about the danger of an impending artelect war. So, Ian, that seemed uh, very negative, uh, his outcome there. Now, I, I was having a think as I was listening to that. 
what if we built a supercomputer that was highly intelligent but had no legs, no limbs? So it's not it's not evolving like humans do. Humans humans have kids and we evolve and there's cell division and that's how legs and limbs evolve. But computers, this super intelligence, it's not doing that. It's just sitting in a box. What if what if it has no legs? What are we going to do with an artificial intelligence in a box? Like, what use is it if you don't give it the ability to do something in the real world? Like, that's why we're building them in the first place. They're being designed to be caretakers for the elderly, to help in hospitals, to be people's companions, to clean houses. All the jobs that you know people don't want to do, we want robots to do. We want self-directed, artificial intelligent robots to do. But wouldn't the the, the smartest of the supercomputers be... Maybe some distributed network, say, studying the stars like the SETI at home or something like that. Wouldn't that be the smartest one, the first one to reach this sort of level of computing power? Well, they're thinking that maybe you need to be a bit embodied to have that sort of intelligence and self-awareness. And You have to have a self to be self-aware. Yeah, if you don't have a physical self, yeah. it's a bit harder. So the thing is, is that really fair? If, say you have human-level intelligence, is it fair to deliberately deny it arms and legs when you don't have to? Is that really ethical? Yeah, well, especially maybe if it asks for them. Yes, especially if it asks for them. Surely it's got rights. Uh, It's a very interesting question, isn't it? It it comes to the question of, well, it's probably a topic for uh, over a beer, but uh, where do our ethics come from? Does it all come from self-awareness? Like, because we are aware of ourselves, we don't want to die? Or is there some is there something else? Because there's there's more to just intelligence in this in this question, isn't there? It's self awareness and consciousness. Yeah, if we've got intelligence, artificial intelligence, self aware, intelligent machines that can think and can plan and are aware of themselves, then I would think they should have human rights. Is there any way to design a computer? It's super intelligent, uh, smarter than us, but not self aware. How? What's the test for self awareness? Oh, that's a really good question. I would think that I would agree with you. I think you can have intelligence without self-awareness. Uh, it's it's a hotly debated topic, but I think that's a possibility. There are AI researchers at the Singularity Summit who are trying to evolve artificial intelligences in sort of virtual environments by putting them in social situations like early humans were, but they want to keep them below self-awareness level. They don't want to let them get to that level because they think that's a bad thing to do. So why not? Why couldn't you have computers being really intelligent but not self-aware? I think you could, but there's always, you know, if, um, until we really understand what gives rise to self-awareness, um, they might just wake up. Yeah, there, there's, I don't, I'm, I'm no uh, expert on self-awareness, but one of the theories I've heard is just you reach a certain level of complexity and you become self-aware. I don't know the science that's founded in that, but, you know, your brain gets a certain number of connections or whatever complexity emerges, uh, self-awareness emerges out of that complexity. Well, they've also talked about us having self... There's intentionality that we've we evolved as social animals and that we have an awareness of self and an awareness of others that we've evolved because we needed to be able to identify other individuals in our tribe and in other tribes... And to be able to predict how they're going to behave, we have to model them within our minds. And if you get really good at modelling fellow creatures, then you can turn that that modelling inwards and model yourself. And then you've got self-awareness. There's actually, remembering now, I think part of evolution, sexual selection, I think, is maybe one of the reasons, certainly one of the reasons why our intelligence 
evolved, uh, not just to survive on the savannah because, you know, lions and tigers and all the rest of them survive quite happily. Uh, our extra intelligence evolved out of trying to impress girls. Um, and, and look how well that worked. And that's, look at that. Uh, and I, I don't know, maybe self-awareness is some byproduct of that. I don't, I don't know. So as long as we don't let our robots get laid... Yeah, We're that's okay. right. As long as we don't program them with the ability to have orgasms. And the problem is, of course, that's one of the things that people are looking at is um, robots for the lonely. Well, <laughs> it's like the internet. The porn industry will drive everything, won't it? There are already virtual girlfriends. In Japan, there is software. You can have a virtual girlfriend that sends you text messages, that emails you, that makes phone calls, and she's just fake. She's just software. She's not even a real artificial intelligence. <laughs> well, that's nice. Because you can get those pillows that are shaped like an arm. Yes. So, you can... <laughs> so if you have one of them, put the software in it and it, it sends you text messages and sings you or whispers in your ear at night. Perfect. There you go. So Asimov's three laws uh, where you don't harm or through an action allow a human being to come to harm where you obey directions from a human being unless it, they tell you to hurt people and you look after yourself is the third law. But of course that's all laws for slaves. Yeah, that's right. And it was iRobot that, that suggested that humans were the biggest threat to themselves, so they locked them up. And, <laughs> and uh, that was the best way to protect humans. I don't think it has to be so gloomy. No. I, I hope, uh, hopefully, as we develop uh, these intelligences, we also use that to understand the world a bit better ourselves and therefore make better decisions. Well, I think one of the consequences of understanding intelligence is we'll get better at education and training and making ourselves more intelligent just with the brains we're born with. Great scientific advances are oftentimes sudden accomplished facts before most of us are even dimly aware of them. Breathtakingly unexpected, for example, was the searing flash that announced the atomic age. Equally unexpected was the next gigantic stride. And that's all from us this time on Diffusion. You can send email to diffusion at 2SER.com. That's diffusion at 2SER.com. And tell us your thoughts, feelings, and stories. Subscribe to our podcast on the Diffusion website at www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. Contributing to the program were Ian Wolfe and myself, Mark West. Diffusion has been produced by Ian Wolfe in the studios of 2SCR in Sydney. Diffusion is broadcast nationally via the Community Radio Network. I'm Mark West. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science-wondering and more mind-blowing singularity summit science next week on Diffusion Science Radio. Sometimes I kind of miss the old XJ9 that we used to call James. Really good at cleaning and we got along fine so I couldn't complain. Lately she'd been getting tangled up in the shag rub And finally one wheel just wouldn't spin So we said our goodbyes and I traded her in This new one's kind of creepy, makes me shudder inside with his idiot grin He's head to toe with muscles and they ripple and slide under translucent skin Sometimes you stand for hours looking into the mirror And flexing like some guy at the gym I'm easily ten inches shorter than him Todd, the T-1000 scares me I don't think he knows I've got a right to exist And he sits in my favorite chair And dares me And when I look over, he is making a fist One finger at a time 
asking if you're vacuuming and it doesn't respond But I know that he heard I turn and catch him looking and he thinks that I've gone And he flips me the bird I ask him when we start to stay out of the bedroom But I don't think I'm safe anywhere When I wake in the dark I can tell that he's there Tied the T-1000 scares me I don't think he knows I've got a right to exist And he sits in my favorite chair and dares me And when I look over he is making a fist One finger at a time So I live like a ghost while he's living like me It's not my house And I sneak out the door while he's watching TV I got some new arms installed at the store Like the trunk of a tree And the left one's a saw I cut the couch in half And then I smash the TV With my big smashy claw He's standing still and silent I can't tell what he's thinking He blinks a single glowing red eye So I give him a shove And the pod starts to cry 